always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Talk to our dedicated Switch Squad or search Sky Broadband to get started. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Pollock. Today, what do Loyalist bonfires and 12th of July parades mean in 2022? Northern Ireland's 11th night bonfires and July 12th parades took place in full this week for the first time since before the pandemic. As in previous years, there were some concerns about the potential for major civil unrest, concerns that were not realised. However, there is lingering controversy and criticism over the burning of nationalist symbols and effigies on bonfires. And increasingly, there is also the parallel world of online activism as loyalists and nationalists fight to shape the digital narrative around July 12th. One person who witnessed this year's events in the real world was our Northern correspondent, Seanine Graham, who started watching the Belfast Orange Order Parade at Clifton Street. Which is the main departure point, very close to Donegal Street, Carlisle Circus, anyone who's familiar with the geography of Belfast. And really it was a very relaxed atmosphere. Uh, People in deck chairs, waving flags, you know, multi-packs of Tato crisps and soft drinks. And I remember there's a little girl sitting down with her frilly Union Jack socks and her bobbles and the uh, Miller Memorial Flute Band, who they're the band that always lead the parade out. They were tuning up, dusting down their uniforms and the colour party, the men in the bowler hats and the orange carnations were getting ready to set off. But every year the media does warn about these tensions around the 11th, 9th and July 12th marches. Did you feel any of that tension when you were out reporting? There was one particular guy whose comments didn't make it into the piece because they were so inflammatory and sectarian. He had actually travelled over from from Glasgow and he has travelled over for the last 30 years. And apart from that, you know, there was that initially family atmosphere. And then after a few hours, you know, more alcohol had been consumed in the streets and it was uh, it was much louder on the way back. Um, but by and large, I didn't really feel threatened, no. Seanine, in this article that was published in the Irish Times, you speak to a young gay woman about seeing a pride flag being burned as part of the bonfires. And she spoke also about how there are problems around inclusivity in the parades when it comes to sexuality or race. But she still attends each year because there's a feeling of nostalgia and family connected to the annual event. Can you tell me a bit more about what she said? Yes, this was the young woman, Laura McFarland, I was actually taken aback by how candid she was. Laura was sitting beside her mother in Clifton Street and her mother was uh, bedecked. She had her uh, red, white and blue garland, her Union Jack hairband. Laura, by contrast, had a plain grey T-shirt. She was wearing her sunglasses. And we actually started chatting about uh, what it meant to her and the fact that you know, just over a decade ago, the Orange Order tried to rebrand uh, the 12th of July as Orange Fest to make it more inclusive. It was a PR move and I asked her how she felt about this. She felt, you know, it wasn't just if you were to ask a white heterosexual male, yes, they would feel included. But as she put it, you know, if you were to ask a person of colour or someone who was gay like herself, she volunteered that information. Um they 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 may not feel included. So it was really interesting that she I said, well why do you come here? She told me her partner is from a Republican background, her partner wasn't with her. But she did, she said she'd been brought up in this. Her father was an orange man. She loved the music. She'd come here. She, you know, she'd attended the parades since she was a very young child. And she felt that feeling of, of, of comfort 
which was so strange. I suppose for, an, for outsiders listening to this, where you know she said she'd watched on how she struggled to watch pride flags being burnt on top of bonfires on eleventh night, and her mother, who said he was decked out in in all the regalia, you know, she kind of shifted uncomfortably when it, when her daughter was beside her speaking about this. But she she also said as well, you know, she accepted that it was difficult to make it an inclusive event, particularly for Catholics and for the nationalist community. You also spoke to some tourists who had attended the bonfire the night before and then you met them at the marches. What did they think of the spectacle? So there was a group of young men from the Czech Republic and it was their first time visiting and they had asked a friend to take them to the bonfires. Uh, they were they were fascinated by the culture and again they they were pretty forthright. They said they were completely terrified. They said that it was this huge spectacle and the fa- they said they stood quite far back. The, the bonfire, I believe, I think it was in North Belfast they attended. And for them, they said it was the, the, the burning of the, the Irish flag. They felt that it was just, this was a symbol of hate, as one of them described it. And they, they said there was this, uh, it was almost palpable, this feeling of aggression in the air and how, you know, the, with the destruction of the flag and there was some effigies as well. On the bonfire, um, they felt it was very disturbing and intimidating. Terrifying is the word they used. Many of those who don't agree with the bonfires say the 11th night celebrations are unsafe and, as you've referenced, in many cases disrespectful. But meanwhile, many unionists argue that the annual event is an extremely important part of their culture and their identity. Can you tell me a bit about the pride the people you spoke with on the 12th feel about these celebrations? Well, there was one gentleman who was 84 years of age. He was very striking. He was a frail elderly gentleman and he was dressed head to toe. He had his sash, his bowler hat, you know, immaculate. And he was sitting with his two grandsons and they were actually sitting on the pavement. He he was in a, a chair. They brought along a deck chair and they were also wearing sashes. These two young boys who were I think 10 and 12 and, and his daughter was there and he was very frail. He was 84 and he had been part of the Orange Order for 60 years. And he spoke about the religious aspect and his faith and how important it was to him. And the Orange Hall in Clifton Street, which is the biggest Orange Hall in Belfast, this were served there that morning to 70 members in different rooms. And I spoke to one of the, the, the women who served the breakfast and she spoke of the lovely atmosphere, uh, how important it was, how no alcohol was, was allowed in the hall and how important it was to them and their tradition. The, 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 one of the big things was the bands and the joy that people got from these bands and it was their day. They spoke about their culture, their heritage, how generations of their families had watched these parades. So I thought it was interesting, the gentleman Stanley Hare, you know, he, he did speak about the, 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 the religious side of things and, and his faith and how important it was. And he, he was very, you know, a very dignified man. And the fact that he wanted his, his family, uh, his young grandsons, they, they were very much part of this too. On the flip side, um, Alliance Party leader Naomi Long tweeted earlier this week that she felt physically sick by the sight of effigies representing herself. Sinn Féin Vice President Michelle O'Neill and Sinn Féin President Mary Lou Macdonald, which were burned on a bonfire on the 11th night. Uh, She tweeted that these effigies represented the, quote, festering hatred and sectarianism that not only persists in the community, but is being passed on to the next generation as normal. What kind of reaction have you come across in relation to those effigies? 
Well, this story has dominated the news agenda here for the for the last twenty four hours, and Naomi Long, she as she said, she tweeted out yesterday that she has become accustomed to posters of herself being burned. Um, she referenced she did feel quote unquote fit, 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 physically sick. And people are horrified. And I know that there were calls for more unionist leaders to come forward and uh, unionist community leaders as well as political leaders to come forward and and call this out and um, that there was too much silence. I thought it was interesting that Doug Beattie came out very forcibly yesterday, the head of the Ulster Unionist Party. He described it as utterly vile and how they did not represent his culture or his 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 unionism and uh, his party colleague, I think it was Mike Nesbitt, said one flag, one effigy, one emblem is just one too many. And I think it's interesting in that, you know, this week we have, we saw no contentious parades here. It's only a decade ago, you think back to Ardoin and there was the most horrendous scenes beamed around the world, you know, rioting for hours and hours and hours over contentious marches, water cannon, riot police, petrol bombs thrown, shots fired, really horrendous, horrendous scenes. That's gone. But what we now have is this bonfire culture where there is, as, you know, Naomi Long again in in a radio interview last night said, you know, it was pure, unadulterated bigotry and sectarianism. And um, the fear is that this this has been normalised and passed on to the next generation. So I think, yeah, the the, the parades, thankfully, and there's been huge work behind the scenes uh, by political leaders and community leaders to resolve this. Um, and the fact that bonfires now, people say, you know, um, I know there was another interview this morning where it was an alliance representative said, you know, it is fine for bonfires. This is part of a tradition, but remove the effigies, remove the posters, remove the flags, you know, um, to go back to that young man from the Czech Republic. He said for him as an outsider, that represented, it was a symbol of hate, this Irish flag. And to have young children exposed to this as, as so-called fun days, which, you know, 11th nights, I live around the corner from Ballysillan Road in North Belfast. And, you know, you've bouncy castles, it seems, you know, it's a, it's a unionist community. And that is, is portrayed as a, as, as a fun day. Yet at the same time, you, ha- you have these huge powers with tricolours. Aside from the conversation around effigies, is there anything else different about this year and the way the events of the week are playing out into politics and being debated and discussed? Well, I think at the moment, you know, the fact that we have a hiatus with Stormont yet again moth- mothballed, um, people are really demoralised here and the 12th, it brings up the whole debate of sectarianism and how divided we are as a society and as I said, it does seem pretty bleak at the moment when you have from 2022 effigies of three female politicians um, being burnt. We've just come out of a really toxic assembly election where we saw unprecedented levels of um, misogynistic online attacks on women, the use of online porn. I wrote about that a few weeks ago to smear election candidates. And I suppose you have social media thrown into the mix as well where people, you know, we always had negative, you know, on television, uh, people saw these images around the world, but now you have social media where it's a free-for-all, really, and people can say what they want. Coming up, social media and the 12th of July. Are the tweets and TikTok videos making things better or worse? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa... in the bedroom or swiping in the bathroom hey get out of here 
I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. In recent years, most of us living outside Northern Ireland have experienced and witnessed the July bonfires and parades online on social media. But the social media dimension of these events is increasingly important in Northern Ireland as well. Online, these events are celebrated, criticised, defended and mocked. Memes, wordplay, hashtags. I mean, the number of hashtags that will emerge during contentious events. Paul Riley is a senior lecturer at the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Glasgow, and he's written two books about the role of the internet in conflict transformation in Northern Ireland. I spoke to him about how social media can further stoke divisions at this time of year, but it's not all negative. So I began by asking him for the online highlight of the past week. I think, I mean, the steeple defenders band in Antrim dressed as screen aliens would be a, 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 an example of more irreverent, funny, not very politicised perhaps, and again, something that most people who saw it, I imagine, reacted with a certain degree of incredulity and probably amusement. But most of the response, it's had a lot of views, 250,000 views already, but most people who saw that, irrespective of any baggage, probably responded with a smile. We can be quite playful on social media. You know, it's something where people can get a little bit of release, perhaps, from what can seem like a very tense and difficult situation. The flip side is the negative. You have social media being used to amplify, to shame, um, often what people see in the streets, whether that's things being burnt on bonfires, effigies of people. It often highlights the persistent sectarianism, the persistence of division, uh, the fact that perhaps events such as bonfires, which are often um, framed as, you know, inclusive, aren't really. It's important to point out the vast majority of Orange Parades are not deemed contentious, but those that are do generate a lot of political heat and a lot of online anger and, and contestation. Paul, why did you feel it was necessary to research and, and delve into how social media is used to frame the more contentious political issues in Northern Ireland? I mean, I think it was probably the flag protests in 2012 was the first time we saw a lot of online activity around parades and protests. And a lot of the stuff was antagonistic. There was a lot of people sharing quite angry responses towards the flag protesters, but also um, pictures and videos, some of which were doctored. For me, the sort of into this was that there was a an image of a bonfire which was purporting to show a picture of Oscar Knox, um, a, a small child who had cancer, who had been the subject of a media campaign at that time. And uh, obviously that picture circulated on the, the morning of the 12th of July in 2014. There was a lot of people very angry about it and it was a, a doctored image. Somebody actually shared an image of that bonfire and said, this is not real. And it kind of got me thinking more about, is this widespread? Is there a lot of mis- and disinformation? This is our 2014, two years before Trump and Brexit. So perhaps at that time, it wasn't that common. 
And I certainly found a lot of evidence of people um, not just using it for harm, you know, to share images which were doctored. And some of them were very crude. I mean, we're talking here really bad Photoshop images where it was pretty obvious it wasn't real. But you had people also checking that. And I think that sort of idea that people might use Twitter or sites to say, this isn't true, please don't spread things which might cause harm, which might lead to violence on the, in the streets was an important part of that. And that's sort of where my book and my research came from back in 2014 to 2016. Tell me, what have you noticed about the social media coverage of the 12th of July this year? Now, the full marches have been on hold since 2019 because of the pandemic. And social media has changed and developed very rapidly during those three years. It's fair to say with people being on the streets for the first time in three years, you had, I mean, a lot of, a lot more people out there who were recording what was going on. So unlike the past two years where I think there were virtual 12ths and, and things like that at home, which didn't seem to get the same traction, you have a lot of people who are trying to document that. Perhaps people who are obviously marchers, who are members of the Orange Order or their supporters. More people, I think, than ever are aware of the importance of documenting what they see, what they observe, but also the power of that. This is going on Facebook. And certainly we have seen, particularly around bonfires, a lot of people sharing images which have generated negative reaction, particularly in relation to the burning of effigies and flags. Uh, and again, there's been a lot of online heat about that, uh, which I think perhaps has... In 2015, when I was doing work on this, you know, there was elements of that then, I think, too. Perhaps there's more people on social media now who are doing this actively than there were five, six years ago. One video which has spread like wildfire in recent days is that which shows a young man throwing a bin at passing Orange Order band men. Oh, he threw a bin at them! Oh. Marchers then react by smashing a larger wheelie bin into the window of this man's head. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's worth mentioning, though, that there are two versions of this video. And in one of them, you don't see the window being smashed. What kind of impact has this video had online? And is wider context needed to fully understand what's going on here? I mean, I, I think it was interesting that the long version, the, the unedited version was the first one, certainly, that I saw yesterday. And... Uh, it was fair to say the reaction to it was uniformly negative. There were people very critical of the bandsman, the reaction to it, perhaps more so than the actual person who threw the bin. Uh, I mean, I think there was, you know, again, one of the tweets was, you know, you know, give that man a clap or, you know, celebrate in the act. And I think what you saw with the edited version, and again, it, it does raise questions about motive, about why people would edit that. And I think if you edit that clip, as if you see the edited version, um, it might look as if it was an act of violence perpetrated on the people in that march, in that parade, rather than, again, a reaction which, which drew a lot of condemnation. And I think it does reach, highlight really carefully the importance of, yes, fact-checking, of, yes, looking at things in context. I mean, there was even a debate which I saw about where that video was shot, about you know, the religious composition of the area. I mean, you have people there actually debating... Um, again, that part of South Belfast, whether it was Unionist, Protestant, Catholic, and etc. And a lot of people actually quite wisely saying, well, I don't think that's really the point here. It's more about what happened. So I do think there's this issue we take that sort of thing as evidence. And sometimes perhaps we should be more um, critical in how we evaluate it and perhaps more critical in how we respond to it. Because sometimes we can miss things which might be important context. Paul, are there any other videos that have stood out for you over the past few days that have emerged on social media and perhaps send a certain type of message to people about what goes on in the North around July 12th? 
Well, there were a lot of videos of bonfires, and obviously the, the one in Larne, which which drew a lot of attention due to the, the death of one of the people who assembled it, but also showing things that were on bonfires. And, and I think even going back to 2015, and that Oscar Knox example, 2014, you know, this is something which has happened over a longer period than social media, where things are bon- you know, burned on fires, whether it's flags, whether it's political posters. But there seemed to be a very visceral reaction to it this year, I think, not just from people using Twitter, um, citizens, but also from politicians from across the political spectrum. Newly elected DUP MLA David Brooks said there was no place in our society for the pathetic scrawls messages placed on the Craigie bonfire in East Belfast. These images do nothing to further our cause and they don't represent the good people. What about the tit-for-tat element of social media? So, for example, if a loyalist user points out the bad behaviour of Sinn Féin supporters using offensive terminology, for example, and then the other side retaliates by pointing out something offensive that the loyalist side has said. I think it's very detrimental. I mean, uh, the trouble is, I suppose, is that neither side is likely to convince the other of the merits of their case. So you're quite right. When it comes to the 12th, you will have, for example, loyalist bandsmen involved in violence in the streets. And then someone um, tweets that and then they get a response saying, but look at what you know your side did last year. Or talking about, again, in terms of the Republican movement, there's all, all frequent references to the troubles. in term, Almost like it's not trying to justify bad behaviour on their side or their half, but it is almost this effort to distract or subdiffuse. And I think problematically, if you want to get to a point where there's consensus on respecting cultural or political identity, you do perhaps have to listen to what the other side are saying and also to understand their perspective. And there isn't much evidence of that on social media. It's almost like a feedback loop where it keeps going and going. I do wonder if we want people to actually reach accommodations on these issues I probably wouldn't say Twitter, Facebook, WhatsApp was the place to do it. It probably still is in person and perhaps with, you know, again, citizen assemblies and those ideas might have better value in that respect. How much do you think social media has perhaps deepened the divisions that already existed around July 12th marches and the bonfires? What role has it had over the last decade? Probably more negative than positive insofar as I do think it has reinforced what people think around issues, how to deal with the past, um, about parading, about rights. I mean, I think it's fair to say that when people are exposed to views, even those that contradict their long-held view, they're not really changing their minds. And I think there's an element where people, again, don't really turn to those platforms to learn. They perhaps turn more to, you know, to respond or to vent. At the same time, on a hopeful note... We do have evidence of people checking false information, people actually saying, please don't share this. I even saw some examples in the last 36 hours of people who shared images and put a narrative around it and then actually said that wasn't correct and, I've, and, and actually apologised. It was quite refreshing to have people who had, who had tweeted stuff which could have inflamed tensions actually saying that was wrong, I've removed that post and, you know, please don't take that seriously. So it can help moderate tension. And I think it's important that we don't lose that potential. It does enable people to talk to or be exposed to people who are from a different community background who might not be the sort of people they come across in their day-to-day lives. That's a positive. And I think overall, I would say that people who feel marginalised having a voice is a good thing. 
it does come with obviously some elements which are negative, but we do want people to feel they have um, a stake in society. And I suppose an element of social media, for better or worse, is that it gives people a voice. That's it for today. My thanks to our guests, Seanine Graham and Paul Riley. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the News will be back on Monday. <laughs>